millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with J.P. McNamara on C103. And the good news is the good weather is to continue right across this week and into the weekend and temperatures are around staying the same as they are. We may dip as the week goes on, but overall it's going to be good sunshine for the rest of the week here in Cork. Our lines are open 1850-333-103. You can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Ahead on this morning's show, we're going discussing how the cost of petrol and heating oil is to surge this winter. But the big question is by how much? Now we discussed this briefly towards the start of the week and this is all because of the weekend attacks on the Saudi oil facilities. We're going to speak in depth this morning to the AA on what to expect from our home and petrol prices. We know it's petrol and diesel will more than likely increase in the next two to three weeks but home heating oil, when can we see that and should we all start investing in our home heating oil now before it gets too expensive if we can do so, if you're able to afford to invest now in your home heating oil ahead of the winter. Anyhow, discussing that on this morning's show. Also, how cigarette vending machines in pubs and hotels will be a thing of the past because they are going to be banned. We'll be speaking to the organisation that represents the cigarette vending machines and indeed who supplies them to the bars and hotels. And we're discussing religion in our schools. And this is because one school up the country, they more or less singled out a pupil who did not take part in a religious ceremony. Now, it's a Catholic school. So what happened was that they were going to choir practice and those who took time out after school to go to choir practice, they were given a homework pass. So a majority of those in the classroom did not have to do homework. One lad had to do the homework because he wasn't involved in religion. He didn't attend religion classes, so therefore he did not go to the choir practice either and take part in that. So he was quite upset knowing all his mates were not getting any homework and he was getting the usual amount of homework. Uh, The parents did raise the issue with the school. Uh, Mixed views have come from this story when it came and emerged yesterday. And some people feel, well, if you were sending your child to a Catholic school, And you don't want them to hear or learn religion in that particular school. Well, then maybe you have to accept there will be consequences or indeed move them to another school. But not every location has one of the educate together or or non-religious schools. So you may have no choice just to send them uh, to the nearest school. Other people feel it's a Catholic school. It was built by the state and 
the Catholic Church so you have to obey the rules and again if you don't like them send your child elsewhere Why some people and some parents feel that the majority of schools are very open about this and will say no problem we understand and we won't teach your religion won't teach your child any religion and there's never any consequences but whereby when we said yesterday we were going discussing this we had some parents who said the teachers can only do what they can do but in, in the majority of cases it seems that their child is sitting in a classroom maybe reading a book or doing something else while religion is being taught in that classroom and they say the child can still hear what is happening but it's not the school's fault it's not the teacher's fault it's just lack of resources so mixed views on that your views are welcome discussing religion in schools uh, this morning on the show do you think that the schools are right in if someone does not want to have their child taught religion that they just put the child somewhere uh, in the classroom and let them do their own thing or do you feel well tough luck it's a Catholic school uh, those are the rules your views are welcome 1850 333 103 or indeed text of WhatsApp 0862103103 103 103. if you are in mortgage arrears or you find yourself in debt or know you are going to end up in debt well we'll be discussing that this morning on our feature we do each and every two weeks in the show with uh, MABS and the Awalia scheme discussing mortgage arrears and debt we have a number of questions and we'll get to those across the show this morning and we'll get advice from Mabs and also we'll be going gardening with Peter Dodal later in the show after 12.30 if you have any questions for Peter get them into us 1850-333-103 or indeed text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 and you would have heard Barry there on the news and it's a quite a shocking case and this is coming from McCroom because Guardian McCroom are appealing for witnesses after this incident that took place in the Castle Grounds in McCroom and this was at 3 o'clock yesterday so you know, yesterday a beautiful day, sun shining, broad daylight, and these were two elderly ladies, one in her mid sixties, and the other in her early nineties, who were out walking on the castle grounds in McCroom. So I presume when they said the castle grounds in and around the town park area of McCroom, beautiful area. I mean, for if you're from McCroom or, or the uh, Mid Cork area, you'll know the town park in McCroom. It's in the centre of the town, even though when you're walking through the particular park, you could be anywhere but a town, but it is in the centre of the town. Beautiful area. The, the river runs through it. Uh, Gov Club, GA Club nearby. Uh, but uh, it seems that, unfortunately, while these uh, ladies were walking through uh, the castle grounds yesterday, and I presume when, I, when they say castle grounds, it is more or less a town park side of the castle, uh, they were knocked to the ground and had a handbag stolen by two men. Now, the older woman had suffered minor injuries and was taken to CUH for treatment. Uh, these attackers they left the scene and they went into McCroom Golf Club and then they left there onto Sleeving Upper but they're both described as being tall, thin and in their late teens or early 20s. So if you did notice anything in and around the Golf Club in the Sleeving Upper area of McCroom yesterday, if you can contact McCroom Garda Station there's been no arrests uh, have been made uh, on this case as yet, but investigations are continuing. But it's just when you, if you know the area, this is a, a town park in a, a town in Cork whereby people are walking at three o'clock in the afternoon and this is happening to them. A lady in her 90s knocked to the ground uh, because someone wants to steal a handbag and this lady has gone now to CUH for minor injuries and hopefully she is doing okay. But for that to happen in McCroom or any town in Cork, 
you would just wonder where are we going? There seems to be a bit of a crime spree going on in Cork over the last few weeks with these type of incidents, especially in the city areas. There's been a lot of attacks in the city centre and the suburbs over the last week or so. And now this in McCroom, you wonder why all of a sudden are, are these taking place? Or why are people so desperate to take handbags and mug people all of a sudden? Uh, so hopefully they do catch those particular people who did this and cause upset to those uh, women who were walking. As many do. I've walked that particular park many times. Uh, you would think anyhow it's quite safe. You'll always meet people walking in that location. Yeah, sometimes you can be walking uh, for maybe three, four or five minutes and might not see anybody, but there's usually always someone around. And around three o'clock yesterday, the schools would have been coming out as well uh, shortly after that. So you would hope there was a lot of people in and around the area. If you did spot anything, get on to McCroom Garda Station and hopefully those guys will be uh, caught for what they did yesterday. But awful just to hear that. So just giving that information out again to see if we can track those uh, particular people and discussing the beef situation shortly because at the moment it seems now the the beef that we when you go to the restaurant or the supermarket we all buy that soon could be off the shelf and restaurants are warning they are running out of supplies and it's coming as well after we heard yesterday that meat processors are laying off staff one facility is saying it is not ruled out shutting down completely and this is because of the protests carrying out then we are hearing from the farmers who in fairness thought there would be an agreement on Sunday no mention of price. They want the base price obviously agreed because if they agree on anything else, you know, if they agree on a bonus, who's to say the bonus won't decrease next week? So they want a solid advice and solid clarity on the base price, which hasn't happened yet. So because of that, uh, farmers will continue to pick it. But then you have other industries now coming out, apart from the factories, supermarkets and restaurants warning that the supplies of beef are low because of what is happening. We'll hear more on that shortly. And just some good news because I was in Ross Carberry yesterday evening for the monthly West Cork Sports Star Awards. The awards are run with the Celtic Ross Hotel, the Southern Star newspaper and ourselves here at C103. And our August winner went to Fintan McCarthy, Fintan from Skibbereen Rowing Club. Uh, nice young man, he's 22, has achieved so much uh, as a 22-year-old when it comes to sport because you remember only a few weeks ago, Fintan and the well-known Paul O'Donovan who has joined us many times on this show, uh, along with his brother Gary and his mother Trish, of course uh, they're winners in their own right for so many various things outside of rowing, but anyhow, uh, Fintan and Paul, they won goals uh, for Ireland at the recent World Rowing Championships. It was a race whereby for the last minute and a half, everybody held their breath because Ireland started leading, but no one knew if you would claim or keep in the lead in that particular race. Anyhow, they did. They won gold. And last night at the Celtic Ross Hotel in Ross Carberry, Fintan McCarthy was honoured. And you'll hear more from Fintan in our sports bulletins across the week and also online at c103.ie in our Facebook. So well done to Fintan. A bit of good news and great to acknowledge the work of Skibbereen Rowing Club as well last night. And a lot of Fintan's family turned up as did members of Skibbereen Rowing Club in Ross Carberry yesterday evening at the Celtic Ross Hotel. 18. 3-3-3-103. Lines open and you can text or WhatsApp 86 103 We're going to hear shortly on what was said yesterday from the Tónishta on Taoiseach Leave Racker and also the President Michael D. Higgins on the beef crisis. Okay, can I just go back to Monday's show and this is when we spoke with Michael Collins on an issue that arose in Nuke Gerard in County Galway over the weekend whereby the Galway Independent TD Noel Grealish basically said that he 
felt migrants coming to this country were sponging off the state and Michael Collins, the Cork South West Independent Deputy, more or less standing up for him and said things can be said at the heat of the moment. But Michael Collins basically said that we here in this country, we need to look at the way we managed direct provision, that it's unfair on those we bring in and also that we should have a system here where it is Irish first and then everyone else second. We need to really prioritise the Irish people and make sure the Irish people are looked after first. And if we are bringing in so many people into this country, we need to relook at that maybe. Uh, but it should be Irish first and everybody else second. A lot of media have picked up on that uh, since uh, the chat we had with Michael on Monday. show. it's making a lot of the uh, pa- national papers uh, this morning, including the Irish Independent, who have an article on that. And also I know national radio stations are picking up on the conversation that Michael had with us on Monday show. A few more comments have come in about that since people are reading the articles this morning and still reacting to what Michael said. And I must say the majority of people are in favour of what Michael is saying by way of a lot of our listeners are saying yes, if you look to Ireland in 10 or 20 years time, we're going to look back at how we treated those who came into this country looking for a place to live, looking for a better life and we put them into hotels and did not allow them work and they had to obey by certain regulations, that being direct provision and other people saying we also need to look after our own Irish in this country. We cannot be bringing in more and more asylum seekers into this country if we don't have the resources to look after them, not to mind resources to look after our own Irish. That was the majority of the comments. I would say 80% of people in favour of what Michael said, 20% against. And just a few more here, all summed up by Jer in Ahada, who says, yes, our own homeless and our own people should be looked after first. Michael Collins, some are branding him as a racist. Uh, Jer saying Michael Collins is not a racist. He is just saying it as it is. We should look after our own first. Uh, while Dorothy saying, while I don't agree with everything Michael said on your show on Monday, And reading today in the papers, I must agree, though, what Michael has said publicly is what everybody is saying at the bar stool and around the kitchen table. It's just Michael has spoken out. So while I don't agree with his comments, uh, first and foremost, I do agree that everybody is saying it and everybody's entitled to their opinion but at least he's saying what everybody is thinking says Dorothy on text 0862103103 and moving back to the beef crisis for the moment because we know farmers are going to keep their picket up until something is agreed regarding a base price for beef in this country and we now know that beef could soon be off the menu in restaurants. They're warning that they're running out of supplies. Also, supermarkets are saying they're running out of supplies of Irish beef. And as we heard yesterday, temporary layoffs are happening at a number of beef beef processing factories across the country. And indeed, some factories and plants are saying they can't rule out shutting down because of these particular protests. Well, a lot of reaction came from the National Plowing Championships yesterday because, of course, all of the politicians were there including our President Michael D. Higgins. We were there yesterday and first of all we spoke to these farmers who had their own views on beef farmers and many many of them hopefully they they feel anyhow that farmers can achieve better prices for their cattle. Here's some farmers we spoke to yesterday at the National Ploughing Championships in County Carlow. We live in the country so we support the farmers then. We assure the farmers if they're not making money and nobody else is. You can't stay going it. Losing money. I hope myself that 
that the resolution to the thing and things will get back going again because the, the processing has stopped and the backlog of cattle building up and if, if the weather turns bad there could be pandemonium. Farmers speaking to us yesterday at the National Ploughing Championships on the beef crisis that farmers are facing. Well, we had the tonnage and we had the Agricultural Minister coming out and saying farmers need now to look at this particular agreement and give it a chance. Yesterday at the National Ploughing Championships, Leif Racker also weighed in on this particular discussion, similar to his colleagues, the Tonishta and the Agricultural Minister Michael Creed. He feels that they should give this agreement a chance. And also, Leo Racker has said that he can't fix beef prices to levels that will satisfy striking farmers. Uh, six farm organisations representing the vast majority of farmers in the state have endorsed that agreement. Uh, the protesters were successful in highlighting the issues affecting beef farmers. They did bring the industry to the, to the table, but all that can be achieved from po- protests and blockades has now been achieved. So he's basically saying everything is done and that the farm organisations have accepted that particular deal. But outside of all of that, Michael D. Higgins, who really isn't supposed to comment on what is happening in the state by way of a political uh, sphere. But President Higgins did address the crowd yesterday at the opening of the Plumbing Championships. And he is concerned about the vulnerability of the rural producer. And when you hear him here, it seems that even though the politicians, the Taunashtuk, the Taoiseach and the Agri-Minister wants the farmers to end their pickets and to go along and look at this particular agreement... Uh, Michael Dees could be on the other side of this particular argument. So here's what he said yesterday. They need transparency, protection and a fair system. So let us now have fair projects, fair treatment for everybody involved and let's move on from that. And maybe such is what is an offer may not be the perfect resolution, but may, let's make it the best beginning and go on and build on that. So, Michael D asking them to build on what they're agreeing at the moment, which would mean that basically farmers should get a better price for what they are getting at the moment. So many farmers have read into Michael D and basically have said that, well, he, is he pushing for farmers to continue to protest or are people taking what he is saying out of vain? I'm not too sure, but it did seem from the from what the ministers have said in the Taoiseach and indeed the Taunish, plus what Michael D has said, he seems to be a bit more in favour of the farming community than the others who say that the agreement is made now give it a chance. Anyhow, we will see what will happen uh, with the particular beef protest, but they are continuing today across many of the factories here in Cork. Lines open 1850-333-103 or indeed you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. We had a discussion on the show yesterday as well about the price of coffee. I'll get that to, back to those comments between now and one, but we're going to discuss how much will the petrol and heating oil surge by this winter because of those tax on the oil uh, facilities in Saudi. Discussing that next. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Our fuel prices are going to increase a lot, it seems, over the next few weeks following that attack we spoke about earlier in the week on the Saudi oil supplies. Barry Aldworth from the AA joins me. Good morning to you, Barry. Good morning, John Paul. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. And thanks for joining us this morning on the show. First of all, crude oil prices had their biggest ever one-day rise on Monday, jumping by 20%. So looking at those figures, we can expect an increase in the pumps and indeed uh, when we go to purchase the heating oil for our homes uh, before the winter. 
Yeah, I think certainly that's a concern for motorists and homeowners as we come into the winter months. Now, you would ordinarily expect anyway to see some increase in crude oil prices during the winter months. There's an increased demand in Europe, and with that, prices tend to go up. But the attack, the drone attack on Saudi oil facilities has had a significant effect. And, for example, Monday, Brent crude oil prices closed at just under $72 a barrel, which has the potential, if it stayed at that level, to cause a significant rise. Now, the good news for both motorists and homeowners, within the last 24 hours, the Saudi Energy Minister, Abdulaziz bin Salman, has confirmed that of the facilities that were affected, they are now back operating at about 50% of their capacity with an expectation that they'll return to full capacity by the end of the month. And because of that, we have seen crude oil prices drop back a bit. So where they were at $71, $72 at the start of this week, they've now fallen back towards kind of $64, $65 at the moment for a barrel of crude oil. So that's trending in the right direction, and it does seem like we're returning to a degree of stabilization. But even at that lower level, crude oil is still more expensive than what it would have been at the start of the month. And if it stays at that higher rate, there is a chance that we will see a rise at the pumps. And as the prices went up so high on Monday, on an average would we see price-wise at the pumps for petrol and diesel in the next, let's say, two or three weeks? So it's tough to say. It's tough to put any exact figure on it. I think some of the estimates that have been thrown around were between 6 and $0.08 cents on a litre of petrol. Now, that would have been based off of that higher rate that we saw on Monday. So I think it's it's somewhat safe to say that that's probably not what we are going to see, that we're probably going to see something maybe closer to the $0.04 cents a litre mark or a little lower than that. But again, when we come back to this, oil prices by and large are actually just a quite a small factor in terms of what we pay at the pump. Tax is the main driving force there. So again, I think the spike that we saw in crude oil prices will lead to some increase. Not as bad as what was feared maybe at the start of the week, but certainly I think we are going to see some kind of a change. And a lot of our listeners, when we mentioned this on our show on Monday, had already seen prices increasing then at petrol and diesel stations on Tuesday. Probably a coincidence, but could we have a situation whereby because there was a high price rise initially, that we could have some retail outlets taking advantage of that? I mean, we have seen that before, whereby the price would increase uh, dramatically, but will stay at that high price for a number of weeks before, before it decreases again. And we will have heard that oil prices would have gone down a good bit before the price decreases here in Ireland. Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm surprised to hear that there are places already adjusting their prices because of this, because normally what you tend to see is that um, it, it's a case of they will sell supply at what they have bought it at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, usually it's a case of oil prices or what we pay at the pump will follow about five, well, four to five weeks after that, because again, just depends when they bought their supply. I think you will always maybe have that small minority who will, who will try to take, to take advantage of a chance when they can. But again, that's only a small minority. And I think, by and large, any evidence we have seen shows that prices at the pump will react to fuel prices in line. They, you know, we have never seen any hard evidence beyond the barstool theory of petrol or diesel garage owners adjusting their prices and keeping them at a higher rate than they, than they should be doing. You will see, obviously, prices reacting to global events. You will see 
them increasing and decreasing, and you might find people looking at, say, for example, as prices are dropping now on crude oil and thinking, well, my petrol or diesel station hasn't dropped their prices. Again, depends when they brought the supply and how much of the supply they bought. They could have, at the start of this week, been reacting to the fact that, you know, expecting with this increase that they would have to pay more for their next supply. Hopefully they'll adjust their prices accordingly if they find out that that's not the case. But again, I think it's a case, the best advice we can give to people is shop around. We all kind of form that habit of going to the same garage time in, time out, because maybe it's on the route home or it's just convenient. Keep, keep an eye on what local stations are selling their petrol and diesel for. As a consumer, we have the advantage that any station will be displaying its prices in, in big, bold lettering outside outside the garage. So again, keep an eye, do, do your sums and keep you know, make sure that you're loyal to your own pocket as opposed to a specific garage. And when it comes to home heating oil, because of the change now in the last 24 hours, we were getting calls from people who were concerned and worried that if they leave the purchase of home heating oil till October, maybe when they usually might purchase it in November, it could be a lot higher than it would be now. But do you think that will level out over the next week or so and people should not be as worried because of the news coming from Saudi in the last 24 hours? Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, again, it's not an area that we would be overly familiar with, but I, I think when it comes to home heating oil, the, good, the news coming out of Saudi Arabia at the moment is definitely good news. I think it's going to help stave off maybe that massive increase that was first feared. So I think uh, one of uh, Board Gosh's energy trader was out at the start of the week expecting and warning of an increase of 8 to 10% as a result of the increases seen in crude oil prices. Because that's now started to drop off, I, again, I don't think we'll see an increase that that high. It's tough to put any exact figure on it. But I think as the situation starts to improve and it does seem to be trending in the right direction in terms of crude oil, I, I don't see us getting an increase that was feared maybe in the immediate aftermath of these attacks. And finally, we mentioned there about how we do make up the price of uh, fuel in this country. Now, a lot of it is to do with tax and with the budget upcoming uh, next month and this attack in Saudi. I mean, tensions globally still remain high. We have Donald Trump, the American president, who has said he's locked and loaded to retaliate on what happened at the weekend in Saudi. So with all of that going on, something may happen again in the next number of weeks. Would you be asking the government to ease off on increases in fuel if they are about to do that in this particular budget because of the tensions that remain worldwide to do with oil? Yeah, I think we can basically assume that as long as Donald Trump remains in office, tensions will stay high, particularly in this in the region of the Middle East. I think ultimately we would encourage government to consider at least a temporary lower of the taxation on fuel if crude oil prices stay at this level. Whether they will or they won't, I think unfortunately they probably won't consider such a move. I think a, there's, you know, there is a, an expectation of the exchequer that X amount of money will come in through revenue on taxation based off of fuel sales. B, there is a pressure and ultimately a good pressure in terms of our climate change obligations to encourage or at least co- encourage people to look at alternative forms of transport or at least ensure we are charging appropriately. So I, I don't think government will consider any, t- any change to the taxation on fuel. I think, you know, again, we will be pushing them to consider at least a temporary step, but I think we're going to have an uphill battle on our hands for the consumer. I think, again, you know, it's a case of lobby your local TV. 
We know that there are going to be motorists affected by this. We know particularly as we come into the winter months, homeowners and elderly homeowners in particular will face potential issues with the purchase of heating oil. So, you know, again, lobby your local TD and make sure that you are highlighting the issue to them so that at least they are hearing these concerns and hopefully we can see them addressed. Well, we'll see what will happen over the next number of weeks for the moment. Barry, thanks for joining us this morning on the show. That is Barry Allworth from the AA. And obviously enough, when we mention petrol and diesel prices and fuel, there will be a knock-on effect as well if this continues on energy prices. And it may look like that electricity could increase if there is another likely attack in Saudi. Hopefully there won't be. And as we have heard in the last 24 hours, they have got those reserves up and running. So uh, things not as bad as they were. And that story changing by the day. So hopefully we won't see as a high an increase as we would have. Anyhow, your views are welcome. 1850-333-103 or indeed text or WhatsApp 086-2103-103. On the way, we're going to hear how you know those cigarette vending machines you see in the bars and those hotels. They're going to be banned. Discussing that next. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Court today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103 Around 6,000 cigarette and vending machines in pubs and hotels are to be outlawed by the Health Minister Simon Harris. John O'Brien is from the Irish Cigarette Machine Operators Association and joins me this morning. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, John Paul. And thanks for joining us. We're all familiar with these particular machines that are operating in bars and hotels and have been doing so for many years. How many, on average, of these machines are operating across the country? There's been so many changes to the display of cigarettes. Is there still as many of them that there would have been a number of years ago? No, there's probably a reduction, John Paul, with the amount of pubs closing down and Mm. country pubs and um, where there would have been a machine and many, many places, two machines in every premises. But... uh, with the reduction in, in the number of pubs, probably since the recession period, there has been a, a reduction um, in the number of, of machines. But there's approximately uh, somewhere in the region of five to 6,000 still machines out there operating. Uh, some, some premises with, with a disco and a pub would still have two machines um, in, the proper, in the premises. So a lot of these companies running the particular businesses of supplying these machines and supplying the uh, what goes into them, a lot of them are, are, are what we believe are, are family businesses and there won't be that many operating across the country. But with these new laws whereby they are trying to cut down on people buying cigarettes, a lot of these, more than likely, I presume, will go out of business now because of this. Absolutely. That, that's our concern, John Paul. I think it's, it's important to note um, our organisation, we represent 45 to 50 self-employed vendors employing approximately 160 to 200 people. That's uh, 160 to 200 jobs nationwide. Um, there are many, many of them are self-employed, running a business like any any other self-employed person, 30, 35 years, working hard at the business, seeing a lot of changes, have had to go through a lot of changes. Many non-smokers, uh, I think it's important to note, we don't promote smoking. Uh, we don't advertise on the machines. Uh, we have nothing to do in relation to the, pr- the promotion uh, of tobacco. We offer a service to the publican, to the hotelier. Um, and I suppose a number of years ago, um, the machines are, are now age-restricted by the token system, which means the consumer must obtain a token from an employee, no different than purchasing a drink from the barman um, where, the bar- where the machine is located before they can purchase the cigarette. This ensures that the miners can't access cigarettes via self-servicing vending machines. 
businesses like my own um, has invested heavily in this technology and it undoubtedly has been a, a major success in ensuring that only adults can purchase cigarettes from these machines. And as this law is, is basically going to come in, is there any way that you guys can diversify your business, use the machines in a different method, stock something else in the machines, or do you simply think this is the end of the road for a lot of businesses and more people joining the, the uh, dole queue, basically, because they want to have a job? Absolutely. As, as I said, there's a lot of these family, small family-run businesses that operate 30, 35 years. The machines will become useless uh, and worthless because they're they're bespoke to, to, to handle cigarette packs and cigarette packs only you know you can't diversify into turn them into a water machine or a sweet machine you have to go and and, and purchase that and that market already is segmented with with a lot of other vendors in in that market so it's just a thing that we believe that Simon Harris is not uh, considering his options in relation to what you know can Considering us as, as 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 forty-five to fifty vendors self-employed and working hard, employing one hundred sixty to two hundred people, and the, the, we believe that it will have no impact on reducing smoking, um, and that that it'll only reduce in the number of people that's going to be working in the country. You know, as I said, the machines are already token operated and have been for fifteen years, and that system is really working well. We're unique uh, to other countries. The UK had not this system in place. A, other European countries had not this system in place. We were at the forefront 15 years ago in relation to implementing a token system uh, into the pubs and the hotel sector. And can you see why the Minister is doing this, even though you have successfully reduced people under the age of 18 from going and buying cigarettes? Can you see that he basically wants to cut down on people buying tobacco because it is having an impact on our health service? We can see this day in, day out in our hospitals and he wants to reduce the, the waiting list in hospitals. And this is just one of the reasons. I mean, can you see where he is coming from on why he is doing this? No, I, I can't see. I, I, if I thought it was going to have an impact, uh, I could see it absolutely I, I could see the reason but I don't believe it's going to reduce I don't believe it's going to reduce because as I say these machines their token system it's an adult who is purchasing them from the machine they're not being promoted to the adult the adult has the decision to purchase them or not to purchase them no different than purchasing them in a shop um, but he and, might say if the machine isn't there then they can't purchase it but then as you say he can go to the, in the shop next door or, or whatever do you think absolutely. it could though maybe and a few listeners are, are texting in this it could lead to the black market growing more now and selling cigarettes on the black market when there's less availability from these machines well I, I suppose John Paul we would have made an argument when the, when the um, the plain packaging came in and the, the minister was promoting plain packaging and and, and non-advertising the um, the branding of the of the packs that we would have felt that that was the major influence for the black market to to really ramp up their trade and which we believe like as a vendor 18 years myself our, our biggest competition is the black market because um they're the people that are able to sell this product at half the price and paying no taxes and no no vat and, and not implying people um you know and I would love if the minister would tackle that that issue far seriously than what has been tackled at the moment. You know, in, instead of affecting you know small businesses like our own operating, you know, selling a legal product within the parameters that has been set down by the Department of Health and, and doing it successfully. You know, and and not promoting uh, tobacco. You know.
And I presume at this stage you've gone to the Minister with how this will affect your businesses and indeed your, your family businesses across the country. Have they said anything to you? Have you got a response back from the Department of Health or is it simply we need to do this and basically the way of life in Ireland is changing and you'll have to, you will have to diversify even though you've said it's impossible to do so but that's the way it will seemingly have to go. Have they come back to you with that kind of reply or what have you heard? No, we've had, we've heard no reply. We've made many submissions to the Minister over the years and um, we, we we haven't had a reply in relation to he just he's adamant on taking his policy in and 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 we would argue that it's incorrect in the way he's been proposing it. Um, we believe, that, as I said, that the token system is working well at the moment. There is age control in place. Miners are not able to purchase. That's that's the reason he's implementing this policy. Um, and we don't believe there is an issue. We would argue that if there was a problem uh, and, and, and miners were purchasing large quantities of tobacco from these machines, yes, we could understand the, the rationale behind the minister's reason for taking this in. But that problem doesn't is not there. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Okay, well, we'll have to wait and see. More than likely, it seems that they are going to go ahead with this. I know e-cigarettes are also included in this and they're going to be banned to those under the age of 18 under this particular proposal. For the moment, though, thanks for joining us, John. That is John O'Brien from the Irish Cigarette Machine Operators Association. There is a lot of comments have come in on this, on smoking, on the vending machines and indeed on smoking in public areas. Uh, keep your calls coming 1850-333-103 or text or WhatsApp 86 103 It's Cork today with you until one. Bernie takes your comments to 1850-333-103 or indeed you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. You can email this morning jp at c103.ie or indeed you can tweet at c103cork. We discussed the issue of smoking in the last hour and this was in connection with the smoking machines many people call them but the vending machines that sell cigarettes that they are going to be banned. You'll be familiar with those in bars and hotels across the country well they are due to be banned under a new proposal from the Health Minister Simon Harris and on that we got a lot of commentary in from people who were in favour but also people who are not in favour of this. First of all a texter here who says Hi John Paul I haven't smoked for 30 years. Yes I'm anti-smoking. No one is allowed to smoke in our house. My wife smokes outside. However if someone wants to smoke and in my company, I have no problem. Just not inside my door, please. Removing the cigarette vending machines is only opening another illegal outlet for the drug cigarette smugglers of Ireland. The customs and excises are already excessively overstretched. More lost revenue? Well thought out. If the minister really wants to do something about smoking, please ban smoking on the streets and indeed all public areas. Well, I did uh, put that to John O'Brien, who joined us but just before 11 uh, John is from the Irish Cigarette Machine Operators Association and he says the biggest market that they uh, tackle on a daily basis is the black market so you're right it will lead uh, to that situation whereby you 
probably would have more drug and cigarette smuggling, particular cigarette smuggling in this case anyway, uh, coming into the country because the fact that there will be a less availability of cigarettes. And Annie is saying, I agree with the less availability of cigarettes. I have to walk past the bar every evening and the amount of people smoking outside is unbelievable these days. I thought people were cutting down on smoking. Uh, But I think in the last number of years, from what I can see, there is an increase. Why, though, should I pass and breathe in their smoke on a public footpath. Something needs to be done about bars and smoking outside on public footpaths. Fine if they are in an area cornered off and owned by the bar. And yes, of course, smoke will pass onto the street, but not directly smoking on the street, says Annie on text to 0862103103. Do you agree with Annie on that, on the issue of smoking outside of bars? And the fact that even though you would think that people are getting more healthy and cutting back in cigarettes, Annie feels that more people are smoking and she notices notices more people outside her bar. Well, not her bar, but the bar nearest to where she lives that she has to walk past every day than she did ever before. So do you agree with Annie on that, that something needs to be done about smoking outside a bar on a public footpath? And why should those non-smokers breathe in for a couple of seconds the smoke from someone standing outside a bar? smoking that could be said for anything that could be said for office workers who are standing outside the office on a public street smoking as well and why should non-smokers passing by pick up their smoke if they are having their cigarette break outside the office they work in and that's on a public street it could be said for someone who's at a bus stop if you're waiting at a bus stop for a bus or a taxi rank for a taxi and someone's smoking next to you they're blowing the smoke back into your face you're a non-smoker I'm sure that annoys people your views on that is any right do we need to tackle laws on smoking in public and also from our earlier texter who has similar views that we need to ban smoking on the streets and indeed all public areas. Your views are welcome on that. Lucy on WhatsApp to 0862103103 says, I agree with the less availability of cigarettes and indeed then uh, smoking. Look at the hospitals. I was in with my dad recently who suffered from a bad chest infection and the guy next to him basically said, if I give up the cigs, I would not be here and admitted to taking up a bed due to his life choices. It's unfair on others who are waiting on a bed on the hospital that this man has a bed and basically put himself in there says Lucy on WhatsApp while John has a different view John says, yes, again, an attack on smokers, easy targets in the budgets and now taking away our right to buy a packet of cigarettes from a machine. What a nanny state Ireland is becoming. Surely people over 18 can make their own choices, but no, not in Ireland, says John. Uh, while another texter saying, I was watching Hall Martin on television last night and this texter says, I don't know, can that man tell the truth? Because as a person that brought in the smoking ban, I just want him or someone to tell me how many lives have been saved as a result of the ban. No one has, says that particular texter regarding the smoking ban which was introduced to this country and some would say the best um, law that was introduced in this particular country that others followed over the years. Anyhow, some of your views there with regards to smoking. Uh, do you agree with our callers? In particular, uh, with the majority of calls away from the vending machines but people who walk past a bar or, as I said, it could be a bus stop or just walking down the street and someone in front of you is blown smoke back into your face should we have some new law on banning smoking in public places as a few of our callers and texters have said let us know 1850 text or whatsapp 0862103103 shortly we're going discussing religion in our schools and how one pupil 
uh, well, was basically singled out when he did not take part in a religious ceremony. We'll hear about that. And how do we deal with the situation of teaching religion in schools when certain pupils and their parents don't want their child taught religion, but the rest of the class do? And with resources being low in many of our primary schools, how do we deal with that? Discussing that shortly, your comments are welcome on that particular issue to Bernie on 1850 333103 or indeed text or WhatsApp 0862103103. I want to return briefly to comments coming in on the beef crisis, what we discussed earlier and the comments from uh, those at the ploughing championships yesterday, which are and continue on today and tomorrow uh, do the ploughing championships in County Carlow. But basically the Minister for Agriculture, Tonishta and Antichok Liv Riker have said that they would like the farmers to end their pickets and look at this particular agreement and work with the farm organisations because the farm organisations have agreed uh, to this uh, particular deal while Michael D. Higgins, the president, had a different type of view and really feels that something needs to be done for rural producers. Anyhow, uh, Timmy, who was a farmer in Donrell, says, I watched primetime last night and also uh, the Tonight Show and they were criticising the people picketing at the factories. But look at this, it costs €5 Euro a kilo to produce the beef. Farmers are getting paid three fifty per kilo. So how can you run a business at such a loss? It is very easy to solve the problem. Cut the profits at the factories and supermarkets and give the money to the farmers. When the nurses, the guardie and more had pay disputes, it was on the news all day. But this is not getting the same coverage by the media, feels Timmy. Timmy says he is not interested in employees in factories or the impact on the foreign markets. As a producer, he is entitled to make a profit after over two years of work producing the cattle, says Timmy in Donrell. While Joe and Bantry says the farm organisations are not supporting the farmers, they should have consulted at them before agreeing to the deal. There has to be a base price agreed. We are hearing all about the factory workers who have to pay bills, but only for the farmers that these people would have no jobs at all. Farmers also have mortgages and bills to pay. Leo, the Minister for Agriculture, of course, uh, Michael Creed, are not supporting the farmers at all, feels Joe in Bantry. Your views are welcome on that. Text or WhatsApp 0862103103. And what about this? 30 years ago today. Where has time gone? Are you a fan? Do you watch this? Yeah, that hit our screens 30 years ago today, believe it or not. That was the original theme of Fair City 30 this week and there's only one original cast member in Fair City and despite people's views on Fair City it still is one of the highest rating uh, local and Irish productions for RTE uh, Tony Tormey who we've spoken to on the show uh, many years ago he plays the businessman Paul Brennan and he was there on the very first episode of Fair City and he has been giving an interview this morning to the Irish Sun where he said uh, we know he's the only actor there from day one but he also revealed that the RTE soap was to be axed in the first season before ever uh, ending the particular first run it was going to be axed uh, but we did get a reprieve they felt basically that it was too similar to EastEnders but then they got an Irish writer and all was fixed and Paul talks about his uh, storylines over the years uh, a lot of them to do with dodgy businesses and indeed women as well who uh, lived in Carrick's 
um, Dolores will be the next particular long-serving actress in Fair City played by Martina Stanley of course and there's many more obviously enough newcomers over the years like in every soap so there we are our own Irish produced soap 30 years this week is Fair City I was mentioning this to Bernie by the way earlier on and Bernie made the point that yesterday on the show we were on about how there was fears of the RT Cork studios closing and people fearful that with regional TV going in the country will become again very Dublin centric and then she made a point when I was telling Bernie about that Fair City is 30 years we'll give it a mention on the show today and she says yes there is more of it Fair City was brought in again Dublin centric Bernie says and about a few years after Fair City was introduced they scrapped Glen Row, which was a huge uh, TV show and it did actually even though it did dip in ratings the, the ratings did increase again towards the end of Glen Row. they scrapped that which was uh, set in a rural village in Ireland and boosted Fair City so Bernie says does that not prove the point that we were discussing yesterday in a way it does anyhow regardless of all of that Fair City 30 years old today not sure do you watch it do you like it do you even watch the soaps uh, let us know on that 1850 discussing religion though in our school's next. C103 Jobs. On today's job spot, we have opportunities for a retail supervisor to manage day-to-day activities required for Tom Sheehy's in Clonakilty. Send your CV and a brief cover letter to jobs at tomsheehy.com. Part-time accountants are needed for the Kilavolan area. You need previous experience. It's flexible hours. Contact 087-652-4118. And experienced workers are required for site work, up-to-date certs, and a dumper ticket would be an advantage. Your own transfer is required. Send your CV to Tim at HamiltonFrench.com and you'll find these jobs and more online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs. C103 presents County Cork Culture Night, the annual celebration of culture, creativity and the arts happening across Cork on Friday, September 20th from 4 till 11pm. From galleries to historic buildings, readings to exhibitions and films, there's something for everyone to enjoy. And it's all free. Find out more on Facebook and Twitter and see culturenightcorkcounty.ie with Cork County Council and C103. Audi Cork, nearly new and used car sales event this Thursday to Saturday. Great selection of Audi models available with low finance rates. Visit Audi Cork, Bandon Road Roundabout, audicork.ie. Have an eye on the future? Apply now for a three-year full or part-time honours degree in business studies from Griffith College Cork. Preparing you for a future in marketing, management, accountancy or human resource management. Fit Flex Future. Visit griffith.ie. City Tiles and Bathroom Superstores, Toker and North Point Blackpool are having our biggest ever tile and bathroom sale right now. Wall and floor tiles from as little as $4.99 per square yard. And bathroom suites, showers, mirrors and accessories are all dramatically reduced. It's our biggest ever unbeatable sale. This spectacular autumn sale is for a limited period only, so don't miss out. City Tiles and Bathroom Superstores, Toker and North Point Blackpool. Biggest ever tile and bathroom sale is now on. Hi, Kieran here from the Hibernian Hotel and Leisure Centre Mallow. We are a key meeting venue located here in the heart of Mallow. We host one-on-one interviews, local community activities, barbecue garden parties and conferences of up to 200 people. If you need a venue for your board meeting, training seminar or banqueting event, flexibility is our strong suit with tailor packages for every need. For more, visit hibernianhotelmallow.com. There's a Jacob's Club for everyone No matter what it is you do for fun You're into dressing like a Viking Or by marching in the sun There's a club for everyone A cappella with the fellas
skateboard tricks and make him jealous Fixing cars, counting stars, or playing air guitars Keeping bees, shaping trees, doing classes in Chinese Walking dogs, snorkeling bugs, making furniture from loves No matter what your preference Or obscure pop culture reference There's a club for absolutely everyone With new Jacob's Club Chunky There really is a club for everyone Jacobs, make it yours. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. A Catholic primary school has defended its policy of rewarding children who take part in extracurricular religious ceremonies because many feel that this is unfair as it's singling out those who do not take part. Well, Michael Nugent is chairperson of Atheist Ireland and joins me. Michael, good morning to you. Good morning. And Michael, we have heard this situation before whereby with this particular school up the country, the reward was a homework pass, which one student didn't get because they did not take part in this religious activity, which was, I think, taking part in the choir. Do you hear this quite a lot? Because we hear from parents who find it very difficult to get their children out of a religious class, not the fault of the school they say or the teachers, just simply lack of resources. Well, yeah, what's happening is that First of all, you've got to look at the background. These are not Catholic schools. They're national schools. They're state schools. They're funded by the state. And in the Constitution, you have a right to attend any of these schools, regardless of your religious belief, and you have a right to attend them without attending religion class or religious worship. So, that, And that's also supported in the Education Act, which says the same thing. So that's the background. They are not Catholic schools. They're national schools that anybody's entitled to attend. Now, in recent years, because the Catholic Church has begun to sound out, find out that parents are standing up to, the, to them and they're not getting away with the, the old practice of just making everybody do religion anyway, they're having to find more imaginative ways of uh, keeping children in, in, in religion in order to evangelise them. And that's not me saying that, that's the Catholic Church's own policy of why they run Catholic schools is, is to evangelise children. So they're doing things now like they've been they recognise that you can opt out of the class, but they'll bring the parents in for a meeting and ask them about their beliefs. They'll tell them they can't get another subject. They'll say you have to collect the child from school. They'll tell them maybe go to another school and so on. They'll make you sit in the back of the class. And then you've got this type of thing of, of essentially uh, punishing children who don't get involved in the practice of religion uh, by making them do homework that uh, other children don't have to do. So we'll get there eventually. It's, it's just part of it's, it's just part of this Irish thing of instead of just respecting the law, people always try to just find their way around it and say, well, if we can't do it directly, we do it indirectly. And this particular case in County Meath, the, the child was quite upset leaving because obviously enough, eight or nine years old, and you know your friends aren't getting homework, and then you are getting homework because you didn't take part in that particular religious ceremony or an activity involving religion. Uh, we hear from parents here who get annoyed because their child would be sitting in a classroom doing something else, but still can hear religion being taught because there's no words to put that particular child. But as you mentioned there at the very start regarding that there are national schools and not owned by, by the Catholic Church. When I mentioned this earlier on this morning and indeed yesterday, we did get a few calls from people who said, well, it was the Catholic Church who got the money together to build these particular schools and if people aren't happy, they should send them to educate together or other type of schools but they might not be in the area nearby. What do you say to those people, even though you have outlined the law, but to those who say regardless of the law, Catholic schools uh, that the the national schools were Catholic ethos and a lot of the money came from fundraising via the Catholic Church. I mean, how do you explain that to someone 
leaving out the law side of things, which you've already explained, because people are dismissing that instantly. Well, that's a bit complicated. In a lot of cases, uh, if you look back on it, the buildings were given by philanthropists to the community and the Catholic Church managed to get themselves being the body that ended up running them. But you're right, in some cases, uh, the Catholic Church, with the with the assistance of state aid, did contribute money towards the, the, the buildings. That's years ago, like nowadays, the, the, the state builds the schools as well. But, but, but in practical terms, they can't run the schools just by having the buildings. The state pays for the upkeep of the buildings, the state pays for the teachers, the state effectively pays for the running of the schools. And one of the conditions in the Constitution of getting this state aid to run the schools is that you have to accommodate children of different religions or of no religions, and that that, that those children have to be able to attend the schools without attending religious instruction or religious worship. That's in the Constitution, it's not just in the law. That's, That's something that even... Eamon de Valera, who wrote the Constitution in 1937, recognised was an important aspect of freedom of religion. Now, the second thing you're saying about go to another school, there's less than 100 educated together schools in the country out of 3,500 uh, primary schools. Uh, they, in most areas, there is no other school. In most areas, the only local school is run by the Catholic Church. So you don't have an option to go elsewhere. So you, you, you have to be able to go to your only local state-funded primary school um, or indeed secondary school uh, without being indoctrinated into a religion other than your own. So as an atheist yourself, would you like to see the situation whereby currently at the moment, from what I can see anyway, in the majority of schools is they teach religion within that six hour school zone. So if you start at nine and you finish at three within that that time zone, uh, the, the subject of religion is included. Would you like to see a situation whereby if the students and the parents want them to go and attend religious class, that that would happen outside of school hours, let's say at 3.30. If you finish at three, at 3.30, if you want your your child to be taught religion, well, then they, they stay back for that. Is that something I propose you would like to see, which I'm sure then, though, uh, would come back from a backlash from the likes of the INTO and teachers who would say they're working extra hours then? Well, it depends. first of all, it depends on what the religion class is. At the moment, religion classes in Ireland are either overtly indoctrinating, i.e. they're just teaching Catholic faith formation, or else they claim to be you know, for suitable for everybody, but in practical terms, they're not. In practical terms, they're doing things like they're teaching morality through religion, which isn't suitable for uh, an atheist parent. Like a, re- a religious parent would object if um, if uh, morality was taught through atheism in in a state-funded school. So, but but hypothetically, if there was a subject that was teaching about religions and beliefs in an objective and critical and pluralistic way. This is what Catholics believe, this is what Protestants believe, this is what atheists believe. If that, if, if that was the case, then it wouldn't matter where it is during the school day, because it would just be another subject like history or geography or mathematics or science. But, but we, yes, you're right, at the, at, at the moment, the way that it's taught at the moment, it should not be part of the school day. It should either be after the, the, the main school day ends, um, or, or alternatively, just done in, in churches or at home. It's, you know, the, 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 the role of schools is not to pass on religious beliefs. The role of schools is to teach children. Yeah, and as you say there, the the religious classes, even though some, I know some schools do, even though it's called religion, they, they don't 
initially teach religion and it can be for whoever you are uh, but the, we know the, the honest truth is that if you're making your Holy Communion there's preparation if you're making your confirmation there's preparation so you would like to see that done outside the school maybe in the local church hall or something rather than the school that's the only really way around it Yeah and, and I would stress by the way that we would be just as opposed to state schools teaching that atheism is true as we are to state schools teaching that religion is true you know they, these are things that should be passed on by families or churches uh, and, and state-funded schools should not have a role in uh, indoctrinating people either into or out of religion. So then, given the situation that happened in County Meath, I mean, what do you say to the principals? So, I mean, this situation was upsetting for the young child. Do principals and teachers need to be educated? If, if they are of a really strong Catholic ethos and they feel everybody should be taught that particular way, how do you change their mindset if they continue to do this and if we have children going home upset because at the end of the day, the child will do what their parent tells them at a certain age. So how do you get around that mindset regardless whatever is made from the education department if a principal feels no, it's a Catholic school I'm going to teach it the way I want to teach it and that child will be punished because they did not attend a religious ceremony or indeed an activity It's hard to tell I mean society is changing and I think the people of Ireland have moved on and the Catholic Church doesn't control the minds of the people of Ireland in the way that it used to as we've seen from the the last few referendums but unfortunately there are still laws in place such as the ones that that enable the, the, uh, the Catholic Church to run most of our primary schools that, that were in place from the time that the Catholic Church did have control and we're going to have to gradually uh, dismantle those laws and replace them with laws that treat everybody equally. Um, there, there is probably, though, on, on this particular issue, there's a kind of irony on this particular issue is, is that even within the existing laws, they're breaking the law by um, not allowing children to attend the school without that right being prejudicially affected by religion classes and, and religious worship. But the, the, there's a practical difficulty here, and we've been told a number of times in the past, you know, why doesn't, why doesn't a parent just take a legal case? Um, because there's a good chance that, that it would win, certainly under, and yeah. also under the human rights law. But the difficulty in practice is, if you're a parent and your child is going through school at the moment, you know, you, you, you don't want to make things even more difficult for your child while they're going through the education system by being the parents that are taking your school to court. So there's a kind of dichotomy that there's a pressure on the people that need the court case the most are the ones that can least afford to take it in practical terms because in fairness you have to give first priority to minimising the disruption to to your child's education. So I, I, I I think political change is uh, probably what's going to have to have to make it happen. Okay, very finally, away from the schools, and a lot of people agree, by the way, that on text so far anyhow, that the religion should be kept for the church and children should not be singled out, especially in front of their peers in school. But your position then on religious statues, I presume you would be against those in public places, for example, hospitals. A lot of people feel it's wrong to take them away from hospitals, even people who say they're not religious anymore or have left the Catholic Church because they say whatever happened in Ireland that was still part of our history. What's your view on that on religious statues in our hospitals, for example, which have been removed and people uh, feel upset that we're losing our, our identity, some people say, but our culture, because that was, regardless of how bad history was, it was part of history in Ireland. Well, I think the general principle should be that if somebody is acting on behalf of the state or, or if there's a building that, that is, is operated on behalf of the state, that those people or buildings shouldn't be displaying signs of either religion or atheism. Like we, A religious person would immediately realise 
that uh, it, it's not appropriate if they went into hospital uh, at a vulnerable time of their life, going into hospital and found a sign on the wall of their uh, hospital ward saying there is no God. And, and from, from an atheist perspective, that's the same thing the other way around. You don't want to be, um, show, be presented with symbols of, of, first of all, something that you don't believe in. And secondly, for a lot of people of Ireland, symbols of the Catholic Church in particular bring memories of, uh, of, of abuse uh, rather than good memories. So I, I think it, the, that hospitals should be there to treat people's illnesses, just as police stations are there to, 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 uh, to tackle crime and, and uh, other agencies of the state are there to do their job. While, while they're acting on behalf of the state, they shouldn't be promoting either religion or atheism. Okay, well, regarding the schools, we'll have to wait and see what will happen. It's really the education department will have to intervene with that. We don't want children to be upset uh, going to school because of something that hasn't been specifically ruled out uh, by the education department. For the moment, though, uh, Michael, thanks for joining us and going through that with us this morning. That's Michael Nugent there, uh, who's chairperson of Atheist Ireland. Your views are welcome on that. Uh, The majority of people agree with Michael and feel that at, at this stage, religion should be kept for the church. And regardless of what people's views are, we should not be upsetting our children in school uh, at the end of the day they are there, there to learn and make friends uh, but we don't need to be uh, segregating them or splitting them up uh, because of religion we have enough of that over the last few years in our own country says James more texts coming in as well we'll get to those uh, in a while uh, keep them coming to us on religion in schools 1850 333103 R&D texts or WhatsApp 0862 103103 you can email this morning jp at c103.ie or tweet at c103cork on the way we're going to be hearing from MABS and the Awalia scheme and questions from listeners on those who unfortunately have found themselves in debt or are beginning to realise they're going struggling to pay their mortgages. We'll be speaking with a representative from MABS next. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103. And we're joined by a representative from MABS each and every second week on the show. This week, Rosaline Ward joins me from MABS in Cork. Good morning to you, Rosaline. Good morning. And we're discussing the Awalia scheme, but before that, some good news earlier on this week, Rosaline, that the Awalia scheme is to be extended. That's good for especially people you meet and deal with who find themselves either in mortgage arrears or in debt. Yes, it's really good news. So it's really important to know that the scheme has been extended. Uh, the advice there is going to be there for another uh, from 2020 to 2022 with a review in 2021. So what it means to anyone really listening this morning that there's still time to engage, to avail of a free service, particularly with ourselves. So the MAVs would be your first protocol if you want any help, particularly anyone listening that's in mortgage arrears this morning. It's really important to know that there is free uh, advice available with a dedicated mortgage arrears advisor in your local uh, MABS office, whether that be in Mallow, Demanway, Charleville or here in uh, Cork City. Under the Awalia scheme, you can meet with your dedicated mortgage arrears advisor. We've gone through some of the uh, information that they can help you with previously, but they can go through your standard financial statement, contact your lender through your mortgage company on your behalf, work through any solutions. The key thing is always doing up the standard financial statement, and that's a, that's a key piece uh, of work that your MAD money advisor or your dedicated mortgage arrears advisor, we do them here all the time in the office. We had to gather the paperwork, submit the information to the uh, mortgage lender, and then they can be assessed. It's also important to realise that, you know, if, if 
if there's a court date that um, it's very important to turn up um, if a court order has already been granted there is still a possibility that your mortgage lender will look uh, if there's any other possible uh, options open for you to um, help save the family home but to do that your maps should be should be your first port of call um, to see what your options are sit down across the table from someone it's face to face and the, the really important thing is that you'd be assigned an advisor so you work from start to finish with somebody and you don't have to keep repeating your story to a different person uh, every time that you come into to our service the other important thing to that we do take into consideration is a holistic overview so family circumstances income maybe something has happened a family member might be ill you know the costs the expenses are you know that can all be reflected and taken into consideration if there's any um, solution that can be offered. Okay, well, let's have a look at, at people who, who do avail and, and want to avail of your service and have got in touch with us over the last while. And this is to do with people who may be in mortgage arrears or in debt. Uh, first person here we have is a single person on disability allowance. Now, uh, he says, I'm unlikely to return to work due to my illness. I'm suffering with a lot of different health problems, including severe anxiety and depression. I have debts totaling €25,000 for a loan when I was self-employed. So what can I do? So the person that has sent in that question, what we'd say to them is if they're particularly feeling very vulnerable at the moment and they're suffering with severe anxiety and depression like you described, MABS is a very safe space to come in and discuss that. If they're really finding their death situation completely overwhelming and depending on what their overall circumstances is, we would say to them to, you know, their lender or their creditors need to know that they're out of work at the moment due to their disability, then where we can help them if they were to come in and sit across the table from us, we can work out maybe a payment plan for them or look at their debt options. Depending if this person maybe didn't own their own home and are unlikely to return to work, they may be uh, able to apply for a debt relief notice, which is a write-off for up to 35000 So depending on the overall circumstances of that person, what we would say is that they're the people that they owe the money to, they need to understand the reason that they're, you know, why their income is being reduced. If they don't feel like they can do that themselves, their maths advisor can contact their lenders on their behalf, explain the scenario and then walk through different solutions depending on what the, what the outcome might be. And a person here who's not self-employed who actually is working for a company, but unfortunately this person had an accident uh, at work and now they're going to be out of work for the next six months, but they are scared to tell their bank. Uh, So what can they do because they're fearful of either missing a debt repayment or indeed a mortgage repayment? So if they're out of work, we perhaps assume that their income is going to be reduced uh, for the period that they're going to be out of work. They must have, they should, by all means, tell their tell their mortgage, tell their other loans, credit cards that they're out of work for the reasons that they've explained for, you know, if they've had the accident like you described. It's important that, you know, that any, that their creditors understand the reason for, you know, reduced repayment or no repayment is down to, down to a particular reason. It's very important to let uh, the creditor know that, you know, they're only out of work for a short time. This can be backed up with medical evidence. This can be uh, submitted by the, by the person themselves uh, if they still wish to explain, you know, that they may need a break for six months or they need to be on reduced repayments for six months and that, you know, they've just hit a small bump in the road but they do plan to return to work in the first future. If they don't feel that they can make the communication with themselves and their lenders, then their MAP service can do that for them.
Okay, and another person here then who's in a, in a situation and, and it's, it's involving, involving their family but also loans. Uh, this person says, I've recently completed residential treatment for addiction. Now my addiction has led me to miss payments on my family home, on my credit card and on a credit union loan. I have returned to work but everything is such a mess. I'm not too sure what to do. I am trying to get back on track but I am so stressed and my relationships also with my family have been damaged. So can Mabs help me with this uh, yes. it's a lot going on there for that particular person yes yeah, so it's very important that they've completed they've completed their treatment and when they come into our service like I said it is confidential so while it be considered it doesn't become our main focus for so what our main um, priorities for that person would be to come in sit down across the table with us bring in as much paperwork as they can in relation to their debts and would work through a pre- repayment plan with them if they're what I would say to them is they should perhaps let their let their creditors know whether it be a mortgage if it's a family maybe a family home I appreciate that the that the relationships might have been damaged like you said due to you know maybe something has happened in the past but what we want to do is walk forward with them now so what I would say is let their let their lenders know you know what has happened that they plan to contact maybe their MAVs office make an appointment with ourselves come in sit down and we'll walk through a payment plan with them we'll try to take back some sort of control the space that that person might be in at the moment maybe might be very overwhelming everyone just kind of spiraling out of control so it's important to sit down ourselves. We're completely independent of any institution and we also work on behalf of the client. So anyone who comes into us, they're not compelled to be here and every decision they make is their own and we will go through all their options with them but ultimately it's the person sitting across the table who will decide what works best for them. Okay, and something we get here a lot actually, and this has come in from a person who has received a letter this morning advising that their debt has been passed on to a debt collection agency. Now we've got this before from someone who may have fallen down on a bill for a phone company or maybe changed a bank account and the money wasn't in the old bank account and they might get a letter. It could be for a loan of 30 euros or it could be for five grand. It depends. But what do you do in a situation where you do get a letter saying the debt has been passed on to a debt collection agency? First of all, does this, this particular letter does it mean anything should she be worried and also in the letter it says that if she doesn't make contact with this particular uh, company within seven days they may start legal proceedings so that's a, that's a very scary letter um, to get in through the door particularly if there's you know a seven day uh, notice that maybe legal proceedings is perhaps going to be uh, started so what I would say to that person is again pick up the phone uh, and ourselves can sit down with you and go through your options it's important to you know the a debt might have been passed over a debt collection agency. It might simply be sent over for um, for collection on behalf of a mainland institution or it may have been passed on and they're uh, collecting on their own behalf. The best thing to do there is also to is to engage. I think that's a key message for any debt, whether it be mortgage, um, utility bill, uh, any other credit card, you know, loans, personal bank loans, is to engage. So if you've... If you've someone listening this morning has received a letter like that, it's important to either um, pick up the phone and engage with the company or um, pick up the phone if you don't feel you can do that and ourselves here at MAD, we can work with you, we can make contact with them, we can do a financial statement for you. You know, a financial statement proves affordability or inability to pay and there's a very there's a very distinct difference between unable to pay or unwilling to pay and that's where your MAD service helps you distinguish between the two. We can put forward then any proposals or what your situation is at the moment, whether it be with the debt collection agency or if it's with a mainstream lender. 
Okay, and this is something that uh, would be familiar to a lot of people over the years. Uh, This is where a partner has control of all their bills. So they have control of the the gas, electricity, everything. But unfortunately, uh, this person's partner has walked out two months ago. Now, the person had no idea that their mortgage was in arrears. They're scared. Uh, They're wondering about their home. Will they lose their home? What will happen? How will the bank react? But they have two children as well. Something not uncommon, Rosaline, to have one particular person in the household just looking after the bills dealing with everything but then as what has happened here if that person walks out you could find that there, there's debt and bills outstanding as well Absolutely The what we'd say to that person who is uh, sent in that particular query is that particularly given the time that they're in that's a very it's a very anxious space to be in what they would need to do is they need to contact their mortgage company, um, particularly if it's in joint names. They would need to let the mortgage company know that, you know, what has happened and that, you know, that they're taking, trying to take control of the situation. That's where your money advisor, your dedicated mortgage arrears advisor can work with you as a, what we suppose will be classed as a separated borrower. Come in, sit down with us, see what your options are. They, you know, if they are particularly feared, depending on what level arrears or what stage maybe that the legal uh, proceedings be at, there is still time. But the most important thing is to engage. So let the mortgage lender know, make an appointment with ourselves and then move forward. The worst thing anyone can do is just let let something sit and, you know, hope that it'll go away because it won't and the problem will get bigger. What we're saying is that there, there is help. We're 100% free. We're locally based here in Cork all over um, and someone can come in, sit down, explain their scenario and try and take back some control and make payments, you know, in line with affordability and try to come mm-hmm. to a solution with the mortgage lender. Okay, very good. Very finally, just one that has come into us here, and this is an electricity bill that has come into this particular person. Now, I don't know if it's because of a meter reading or because they have just defaulted over the last while, but the bill is quite substantial. It's over a €1,000, and they have now received another notice. So, again, I don't know the, the history behind this. Was it because there there is a mistake in the meter reading or what? Anyhow, they've received a final notice saying that they will be disconnected within 10 days if they don't pay this particular electricity bill, which is quite high, over €1,000. But the person is saying it's the last thing I need I'm a single parent and I have one child now that person could already uh, be in a situation whereby they're struggling uh, I, I would advise them to go to you at this stage Absolutely and then if, like you, you did mention the meter reading so obviously it would make sure that the meter reading is an actual meter reading mm-hmm. if there has been no payments on this account in a number of weeks or months it's absolutely important that a payment is made on the account they can contact ourselves and when they call they can explain that you know they're at a 10 day disconnection uh, they've received a 10 day disconnection notice and then they can come in what we can try and do then is put some sort of payment plan in place based on the level of arrears and affordability we, then we also go through different payment options, whether it be, you know, if someone's on social welfare, they might be able to have their payment to their utility bill deduction at source, and we can have them complete that form. If there's something that they might need to look at, maybe it would be a prepay meter, you know, level plan payments, so that would be a fixed payment across the um, 12 months of the year. You know, it's very important that they would come in and look at their different options. And like you did mention that, the, you know, we're in relation to the meter reading, but the first thing to do is to contact ourselves, make your appointment, let your let the service provider know, whoever's providing the electricity, that they have had an appointment with MAVS. When they come in and meet their advisor, we go through their options. If we need to 
put it in a plan and place it on behalf, we will do so. Very good, Rosaline. Uh, thank you for all that advice this morning to our listeners. Appreciate that. Some good advice there. And of course, if people want to contact you, you can. I'll give you the contact details very shortly for the moment. Rosaline Ward from Raps in North Main Street in Cork. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. And if you want to contact Mavs, you can do so on their uh, number is 076 107 2000. That's 076 107 2000. You can contact Mavs and Wally Scheme uh, on that particular number. Also, though, they have offices. So, Rosaline joining us there from the Cork City office of North Main Street in the city and their offices in Mallow are at O'Brien Street in Mallow. They have an office in the Underhill Commercial Park in Dunmanway and you'll also find the MAB's office in uh, Rathgoggin South in Charnival. And again, the number, if you wish to contact them, 076 107 2000. Good afternoon to you. Keep your gardening questions coming for Peter Doddall. He'll be along after 12.30 offering all your gardening advice. You can call us now. Uh, Bernie taking those calls. 1850 103 or indeed you can text or WhatsApp 0862103103. Now earlier this morning we were speaking about how vending machines are going to be banned from bars and hotels and this is something that has been introduced by the Health Minister Simon Harris. It will happen shortly enough it seems anyhow the proposal but as we heard from proposals yesterday and other issues they are being implemented uh, next year so uh, this is something that could come in next year. Anyhow regardless of when it's going to happen uh, we've got a lot of comments from people who uh, feel smoking in general uh, have mixed views first of all on smoking in general but the big thing we got was people who are smoking on the street outside of bars people who are smoking in bus stops in maybe GA grounds we got a lot of commentary on passive smoking and why we do need to continue to look at the idea of smoking one of our texters was saying we should ban smoking and Annie a caller basically was telling us that where she walks past a bar every evening she has to inhale smoke for four or five seconds because of the amount of people outside the bar on the public footpath and she feels something should be done about bars well they can't control what their uh, customers do but something should be done about bars having people on the footpath outside smoking and nearly using the footpath as a smoking area rather than uh, getting their own or building their own smoking area and then not many have room to build one so maybe that's the alternative they have that's the only only way people can smoke anyhow on that and on those comments a lot of people have been in touch with us uh, first of all a uh, person here texts her no name on this but says the problem I have is when I go to GAA games a lot of people smoke and they're either smoking cigarettes or using the e-cigarettes in the stands No. I didn't think this was allowed but it does happen and it is very annoying when this happens uh, people smoking and blowing either the uh, smoke from the, or the vape from the e-cigarette into your particular face or indeed from the cigarette into your particular face uh, not on and a lot of people have been on about that attending all kind of games matches from rugby to soccer to GAA and people smoking in the stands or indeed if there's no stand just smoking in and around the ground and the smoke blowing onto your particular your face. Uh, Pat says, well for Annie, my problem isn't cigarettes, but my problem is petrol and diesel engines. What does Annie think of inhaling their fumes as she walks by? God help us all, uh, says Pat, regarding the amount of smoke that is coming from petrol and diesel engines. And another texter here who is saying, I don't smoke, but the cigarette ban was fantastic in pubs, but that and the drink driving has finished the pub scene. Uh, There is only one pub left in this village where I live there was one six now if they remove the vending machines that could be the final nail in the coffin feels that particular texture 
while Tom in Rathcormac says people go out to the door of the bar to smoke and all the smoke blows inside. So if they are going out for a cigarette, they should keep it well away from the door. Otherwise, what is the point of the smoking ban? Uh, good point there, Tom, in Rathcormack to 1850-333-103. We also spoke about religion, and this was discussing how religion should be taught in schools. And indeed, if you have a situation whereby a parent, for one reason or another, does not want their child taught religion in a particular primary school, how was it dealt with? It's coming from a school up the country in Meath whereby they had a choir practice. Everybody in the class went for choir practice. One young lad didn't and then he didn't get this homework pass whereby he got homework. Other children that attended uh, the actual choir practice did not get homework. Obviously he's young. He got upset over this that he, his friends had no homework. He had all because he didn't do and take part in the choir. Uh, so it opened up a discussion on how we deal with that situation in schools, how we deal with the teaching of religion if parents do not want their child taught religion in schools. How do we deal with that? And we put various points. Do we need more Educate Together schools? After all, there are Catholic schools a lot funded by the Catholic Church and built uh, by local people who were Catholics and if that is a situation many felt that will go somewhere else it's a Catholic school you go somewhere else uh, we spoke to uh, Michael Nugent from the uh, uh, he's chairperson by the way of Atheist Ireland and he was explaining about the laws and that in the constitution they are just national schools even though the Catholic Church did uh, do a lot of work on the ground getting those schools built in, in the law side of things they are just national schools and no religion or nobody has any control regardless what religion you are or even if you're an atheist you don't believe in anything whatsoever no one has any control over our schools only obviously enough the state and the Department of Education will on that uh, Tom and Carrie Toole is asking why is that person discussing religion that person was Michael Nugent from Atheist Ireland why is he discussing religion uh, if then he has no religion at all while Nancy in Bantry says Michael is saying teaching religion is indoctrination and Nancy went to state school and people who did not want to learn religion went to a different room to read a book there was never a problem about this indoctrination is the wrong word to use especially for a Catholic child who was learning about Catholicism um, says Nancy in Bantry regarding the teaching of religion in schools teaching of um, Catholic religion in schools uh, Nancy thank you for your call to 1850 333 uh, Sandra says religion should be kept for church only why or oh why do we promote and believe in the supernatural? All forms of religion should be scrapped from the school curriculum. There are far more important subjects. We know children are already rewarded, I would say bribed, but rewarded uh, for their first communion cash and lavish parties, says Sandra. I totally agree with your speaker, says Sandra on text on 86 And Mark saying, while I do agree with some points of what your speaker is saying, that was uh, Michael Nugent from Atheist. Ireland uh, I disagree also yes we people are uh, and have a right to choose if they want religion or not have religion for themselves or their children but they must remember the majority in the classroom will probably want to make Holy Communion and Confirmation therefore religion will be half the tone so they may just have to sit in the classroom and read a book and if they hear what is going on so be it we must remember not all primary schools have the resources to hand some might but especially in more rural areas in two or three teacher schools they need to keep the particular young person in 
in the classroom as they cannot put them in another room if there's no one to supervise them. And then there's all the various loads and and whatnot that comes with that. Mark, thank you for your text to 0862103103. And Patrick... Uh, also on text says very disappointed with John Paul and the way he conducted the interview with the atheist Michael once again the media pushing its own agenda says Patrick um, I'm not too sure what why you are unhappy Patrick with the uh, interview in question when we did ask him and I put it to him about Catholic schools and the way the Catholic Church did build a lot of schools and put money into those schools and I did put it to him that people were asking the question because the Catholic Church was so involved in primary schools in the 60s, 70s and 80s uh, that if people aren't happy or don't want religion taught then they should move their child out of that school to somewhere else and we explained that that everywhere uh, would have an educate together so that particular school could be the only school for them and again Michael made the point that they do need in this country or we do need in this country more educate together schools Uh, but when it comes to moving or telling someone you can't come to this school because it's a Catholic school uh, the law differs and Michael just explained the constitution and the law regarding that but I did put it to him uh, that at the, at the end of the day the Catholic Church did fundraise and, and did help build a lot of the schools maybe in more rural areas than urban areas but it was done uh, so I did put that to him and I did say if people are unhappy move their child somewhere else and I did ask him about this, his position on religious statues and that feel, regardless of what people feel about religion that some feel they were still part of our history even though if it was bad history or good history they were still part of our history so he did delve into them and, and answer them and he, he said he felt that no anybody who's an atheist anybody who's church violent or Catholic whatever no one should have control over the schools so I'm not too sure um, Patrick, where you're coming from or, or what you were unhappy with or, or you were disappointed as you see in a text with the interview you can maybe let us know or if you ever want to join us on air you can do that too 1850 we can talk it out uh, on why you're unhappy with the interview and um, we put the points to him that, that, was, that were coming in and we put the points to him about people who are Catholics and say well saw that person if they don't want to send their child to our school go elsewhere that was all put and he did answer those questions uh, and he, he went through the constitution and the law on that. So let us know. 1850 Text on WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Um, there's a lot of coffee mornings that are going on over the next few days. I will run through them and we'll mention them between now and 12.30. There are coffee mornings for Marymount Hospice so I promise I will run through those coffee mornings shortly as well. But keep your gardening questions coming for Peter. You can ring Bernie 1850 103 or indeed text on WhatsApp 0862-103-103. And on the with the farmers we discussed earlier and this is the responses from the ministers Tónaiste on Taoiseach and indeed the President at the National Ploughing Championships yesterday and indeed how restaurants and supermarkets are saying they are running out of supplies of Irish beef anyhow uh, one texter here is saying John Paul I am not a farmer but the farmer should get a fair price for his animal you can't stay in business without covering your cost from what I can see the price of milk is next to be hit says John in Clonakilty on text 86 you can contact us as well by a private message on Facebook go to C103 Cork on Facebook or tweet at C103 Cork The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council Supporting businesses Supporting communities Serving Cork Visit corkcoco.ie 
Clonakilty Camera Club they will host an open night at O'Dullivan's Hotel in Clon that's on tonight for anyone who wishes to join the club all levels of photographer are welcome and social dancing will be held at the Hibernian Hotel tomorrow night there will be a DJ playing country music from 8.30 and Dermot and Eileen Ring they'll be on stage from 9.30 until midnight at the Hibernian Hotel in Mallow tomorrow evening and Newmarket Faroga Youth Club they will reopen on Thursday tomorrow evening uh, from 7.30 to 9pm and that is in the CYMS Hall in Newmarket. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Still a lot of comments coming in regarding the teaching of religion in our schools. Uh, one texter here saying, is it those who are coming into our country, non-nationals, want to get rid of religion out of our schools? Uh, no, seemingly it's, it's not. It's, it's Irish people who... I just don't want their child taught religion uh, in our schools. Um, I presume there is a, a group as well who come into the country who have a, a different setup from their own country and, and they don't want that. But a lot of Irish people don't want their children taught either. Uh, and a lot of people have mixed views on the teaching of religion and some say, yeah, you know, each to their own. If someone doesn't want their child taught religion in the school, that is fine. Do what the school can do. Don't punish the child though. Don't do what happened in County Meath, but still let the school deal with it the best way they can. And regarding the conversation we had with ATS Ireland, and again, I can't, I have to be balanced. I just can't bring on someone from Atheist Ireland and attack them about their views. We have to give the, uh, be balanced and, and give the both sides, which we tried it and did there. And when we spoke to Michael from Atheist Ireland, because we, we put it to him about the Catholic Church and the fact that they did fund a lot of the schools. He gave all the answers to that. So uh, we have to be balanced when doing these type of interviews. We can't just take one side over another when we try that the best we can. Anyhow, uh, more people who were unhappy uh, with the way that the ATS Ireland dealt with the particular interview. Uh, Maura saying that our schools were built as Catholic schools. I don't know where he's getting his constitution from. I feel that a Catholic school was built for Catholics so it should only be for Catholics only, non-stop, nobody else allowed. Uh, while Jason agrees with Michael in some sense but feels that the idea of removing all statues from public places can be wrong as well. That is indeed our heritage regardless of how bad the church were and also when it comes to our national schools even though in law they are national schools and they are controlled by the state and the education department we have to realise the Catholic Church did build and influence a lot of those schools and only for the Catholic Church we would not have smaller communities and indeed smaller schools in a lot of rural areas. They did provide education to those in rural Ireland we cannot forget that no matter what has happened in the past regarding the Catholic Church uh, says Jason on text to 0862103103 some views there regarding religion and the way it's taught in schools. Now yesterday we were speaking about the price of coffee well, it initially started with the price of alcohol and then it moved into the price of coffee. And people have noticed over the last while coffee has increased to over a euro, uh, if not nearly over two euros over the last year or two years, depending where you go. And people are saying certain retail providers are charging coffee prices here in Cork that you would see the same price being charged in Dublin or other bigger cities. Anyhow, uh, just one more comment on the price of coffee summed up by Anne in Balancolic who says the price of a cup of coffee has definitely gone up in Cork. It ranges from 280 to 420. She bought her own coffee machine as she does not buy coffee out anymore. But if she drives to
to Cork and buys a coffee, it costs 10 euros. She has no park and ride in her area of Ballincollig, and anyway, the park and ride costs 5 euros. It is cheaper for her to go to Dublin with her free travel on the train and get a nice lunch that it would be going and driving into the city and buying a coffee says Anne in Ballincollig to Phones and Bernie 1850-333-103 and if you have any old vases or vases whatever you want to call it at home well this family went along to uh, Antiques Roadshow in Blarney Castle last weekend and they came with a vase which they thought would be worth about a couple of thousand euros maybe if they were lucky anyhow it was looked at and the auctioneer said this is going to fetch more than a couple of thousand euros. It fetched between forty to sixty thousand euros. Well that's what they expect it will fetch anyhow when it goes under the hammer. Forty to sixty thousand euros for a vase. So if you have any of those uh, lying around the place at home, check them out. This I think was a Chinese one. Uh, but check them out anyhow if you have any at home because what the family thought would be worth a couple of thousand euros turned out to be worth between forty and sixty thousand euros when it goes in auction uh, later under the hammer of course a big amount of money for just a particular vase unless you're really uh, sentimental about it I think people will be uh, dishing and looking for those around the house and I didn't get to this earlier on in the week but just to give this a mention we had a few texts on this disappeared on the Sunday Times and it's regarding the Christmas bonus we got a lot of calls uh, earlier last week asking what is happening to the Christmas bonus is it to stay or not in budget 2021 uh, first of all, this budget is seemingly going to be looking or, or really realising that Britain could be crashing out of the EU. So it's basically a no deal Brexit budget is what uh, Pascal Dunahoo, uh, the finance minister, is saying. But he's also saying that he will pay the full Christmas social welfare bonus this year, but it will not be a repeat of last year's five euro increase in the pension dole or carers allowance in the forthcoming no deal Brexit. Uh, Senior government sources say that the finance minister has ruled out that five euro rise in the retirement pension and to other weekly welfare payments in budget 2020 and will instead channel the limited funds available into dole payments and retraining workers who lose their jobs in agri-food, in tourism and indeed in small exporting firms. So from that, if you're on social welfare, you will get the five increase, but the what happened last year with the five euro increase going into the retirement pension and other weekly payments, that seemingly, anyhow, will not happen this year. And even though it will go into social welfare, they're going to use that money to retrain workers if they are affected by Brexit. So what happened last year will not happen this year, but still there will be a Christmas bonus for those on social welfare, but not on those on the state pension or indeed for those claiming other weekly welfare payments benefits. That's the latest when it comes to the budget 2020 and the Christmas bonus. And just looking at a number of coffee mornings that are taking place tomorrow and Friday, we said we'd give this a mention and a number of them all going ahead uh, for Marymount Hospice. First of all, for tomorrow, uh, the management and staff of Verdway LED, uh, they're hosting a coffee morning in the Zest Cafe in Eastgate in Little Island, and that's going ahead tomorrow from 10am to 12 noon. A coffee morning in the Castle Hotel in Blarney will run from 10am to 12 noon tomorrow, and Anne McCarthy of the Old Head will host a coffee day, and that's running from 11am tomorrow morning until 8 o'clock tomorrow evening. All of these coffee mornings for Marymount Hospice. 
Linda and Margaret Daly in Shannon Vale near Clonakilty. They will hold a coffee day from 10am to 5pm tomorrow. And Dunamore Marymount Fundraising Group, they are going to hold their annual coffee night and that will run from 7 to 9pm in Stewart Community Centre. The raffle starts there as well at 8.30 and there's two laptops also uh, to be auctioned on the night. So that's with the group in Dunamore uh, tomorrow evening in the Stewart Community Centre. And then to Friday, the coffee mornings continue for Marymount Hospice and Butterfant ICA, they will hold their coffee morning for Marymount in Horgan's Bar. That's on the main street in Butterfant from 10.30 on this coming Friday. Horrigan's Lounge in High Street in Newmarket will hold their coffee morning on Friday from 10.30 to 1. And the Goalpost Bar in Shanagari will have their annual coffee morning from 10am to 12.30 while the coffee evening will be held in in Bally Daily Hall. And that's going ahead from 8 to 10 o'clock. So there's just some of the coffee mornings that are going ahead across the county for Marymount Hospice and if you're having one we'll get the details into us you can email info at c103.ie get your gardening questions into us now Peter Dowdall the Irish gardener joins us next if you have a gardening questions for Peter you can call Bernie 1850 333 103 R&D text or WhatsApp 0862103103 Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 And finally on the issue of religion in schools and what happened to that boy up in County Meath, a texter here saying Dennis says, if I was that boy's father, I'd be straight down to the solicitor's office and I'd have it out with that school or have it sorted out with that particular school. Well, we did mention that as well in the interview and you don't be causing trouble either for your child if that was to happen in the school and you also, a lot of people don't have the funds to go and do that. But anyhow, uh, what is it? Never uh, talk about politics or religion and here we are. And can we just mention one more coffee morning which is happening for Marymount Hospice it's on tomorrow and that's going ahead in Drumahan Hall from 10 until midday please support there in Drumahan tomorrow right beautiful day outside the sun is shining so let's go out and go gardening Gardening on C103 with Bandon Co-op Garden Centres in Bandon Kinsale and Enniskeen for top quality plants advice and value think Bandon Co-op Garden Centres C103 I will be going gardening with Peter and we have an amount of gardening questions that have come in to us so we'll get to them as uh, we'll get to as many as them as we can uh, but keep them coming to us to text or WhatsApp 0862103103 and while we're getting Peter back on the line I meant to tell you earlier we ran out of time but I can do it now because this Friday the Cork Today show we are broadcasting live from the Castle Hotel in McCroom for the McCroom Food Festival we'll be there from 10am until 1 uh, from the Castle Hotel in McCroom we'll be discussing the various area, uh, issues affecting McCroom and the Lee Valley area I thought I'd talk this week on the show about asylum seekers from our conversation with Cork South West Deputy Michael Collins on the show on Monday uh, we are going to be joined by one of those asylum seekers who has moved to the McCroom area much talk about that will be joined by the friends of the McCroom asylum seekers and uh, a person who has uh, moved to McCroom seeking asylum in this particular country and we'll hear their view and indeed why they have come to this particular country or why they have left where they have come from as well and what they make of life in McCroom so that and more to come this Friday Friday, all part of the McCroom Food Festival, where, of course, we will be uh, sampling local produce from food and drink producers. That's Friday from 10, broadcasting this show, taking everything out on the road and taking it to the Castle Hotel in McCroom this Friday. Now, Peter Doddle joins us for our gardening advice. Uh, good afternoon to you, Peter. 
Good afternoon, John Paul. How are you? On a beautiful day that is, and because of that, everybody is out in the garden and we have an amount of questions in. So I'll get straight into them, Peter, because there's so many in. I know at this stage we won't get to them all. Uh, first of all, uh, this is from Joan, who has a dwarf rhododendron scarlet wonder for nearly 10 years at this stage. It's in the ground, but it has to be ploughed up. Can I save it and can I replant it? It's been in the ground for about 10 years. 10 right? years, yeah. Well, the answer to the question is yes, you can, but, uh, and it's a big bottom of place, that there, there, there is quite a risk that it won't survive. So the, the right time to lift uh, a rhododendron like that would be in the month of January, really, in, in the, the coldest, bleakest uh, winter month, uh, because you want that rhododendron to be totally dormant. Um, uh, because when you take it out of the ground, something that's been in the ground for 10 years, it's, it's inevitable that when you lift it, you're going to damage some of the root system. So you want to do that when, when the plant isn't using the root system, if you know what I mean. So the plant is fast asleep in January. Uh, you take it out of the ground, you put it into its new home, uh, and you kind of cross your fingers and, and pray to whatever God you believe in that the, the plant is going to repair that root damage before it starts growing then again in the spring. So the time to do it is January. Um, get as big a root ball as possible. In other words, get as many of those roots out as you can. And even with all that, there's still quite a substantial risk that, that it, it won't survive. At the same time as cutting back, I would recommend pruning it. Uh, take off 10 or 20% of the, the outermost uh, growth to counteract the root damage. Make sure you, you, you do leave greenery behind. You don't remove all the greenery from the plant or anything like it. Make sure you're leaving a lot of greenery on the plant, but take off the the outermost growth to give it every chance. Okay, and Marie on WhatsApp has two questions. First of all, would you recommend now, Peter, to bring in geraniums for the winter? Yes, it's gorgeous weather, like you referred to at the start of the piece there. It's, it's a, I kind of think we should rename September Sunshine. Instead of calling it an Indian summer, we should call it the Irish summer because <laughs> September is so often our best month. And the weather, I mean, we've had beautiful weeks. We've probably had a longer period of good weather now than we have had all summer. It's really glorious out there, but but it is getting cold, isn't it? As soon as the sun goes down in the evening and yeah, the first thing in the time. morning, it's cold. So whilst we haven't had, I would say, any frost yet, uh, it's probably only a matter of time. So I would move geraniums and any tender perennials like your hanging basket, fuchsias, or anything like that that you want to uh, ensure that it's good, they're going to survive till next year. Yes, bring them into the glass house any time now. You can leave them out during the days if they're in pots, but I would look at that beginning to bring them in at night time. And also, Marie wants to know, what is the best way to look after a lily plant in soil and it's indoors? Indoors. Well, it depends what it is, unfortunately, because the term lily covers a multitude, John Paul. The correct, like, lilium, which is our our kind of probably the trumpet lily, the Asiatic and the Oriental lilies are from the genus lilium, and that's the classic lily. But they can be outside. So if if it's something that's indoors, I'd need to kind of see exactly what it is. Very often you get some of the oriental lilies are grown as house plants for one season and you might pick them up in a supermarket or something like that. Normally they can be grown quite easily outside. Uh, I'm going to answer it as if it was an outdoor form, uh, an outdoor lilium. And, and in that case, once the foliage goes brown and once the flower has died off, then you remove that stem, just cut it with a secretary down to ground level. You treat the bulb then like you would any bulb, like a daffodil or anything like that. Um, if it's in a pot, you could nearly get away with leaving it, but I would recommend if it's in the ground, uh, maybe lift it out of the ground for the winter, store it and then wrap it in a bit of newspaper or straw, so store it somewhere kind of cool but dry, uh, and then replant it out again next 
spring or late winter, early spring, kind of anytime mid-February onwards, plant it out again uh, and up it'll come again. If you just remove the foliage and just remove the dead stem and leave it in the ground, chances are, provided the soil isn't getting waterlogged, uh, the chances are it'll be fine. But textbook answer, take it out and replant it again in February. Okay, uh, John wants to know, he has a three-year-old red robin hedge, never cut back, wondering will I trim it back now or should I wait till later on? No, definitely don't wait till later on. Uh, you, you would cut it back. I would recommend cutting it back now, a gentle trim now, and I wouldn't go too hard now because, like we were just talking about there, the temperatures are dropping. It is getting quite cold. So when you trim it back, you're encouraging new growth, obviously enough. Uh, and that new growth then is is what's most vulnerable in terms of, of frost damage when it does come. So trim it, don't don't cut it back too hard. I would cut it back harder, if you like, uh, end of February, start of March next year. That's when I'd give it its main haircut. And I, and I would do it, trim it now and cut it back in March because he hasn't done it for three years. Uh, if you continue not doing it, it'll just get very see-through and very spindly and leggy looking. And like I often say, John Paul, I have I have a, a red robin hedge in my own garden and a well-kept red robin hedge is stunning, but one that isn't well-kept isn't stunning. <laughs> so I would maintain it. I would, would put the time into getting it right. Okay, Jerry in Inneskeen wants to know, can you advise him what type of roadside hedge to grow for privacy? His house is a good height above the road and he'd be leaving it grow about seven foot minimum. So any advice for Jerry? There's several... <coughs> Excuse me. There's several of, of them out there for Jerry. You'd want to know a couple more things in terms of the site. Like, is it very windswept or not? Is it coastal or not? Is the, is the ground damp or is it is it is it uh, dry? So a couple of things. But ones I would look at for seven foot or more. You could look at the common laurel, which is your your quickest growing evergreen hedge of all. Really, common laurel is is a good thick screen. I don't often use it because it is a bit overly vigorous. So and it kind of doesn't allow anything to grow underneath it. So it's a bit of a bully, in, if you like, from that point of view. But if you want uh, a plant that does, uh, if you like, exactly what it says in the tin, then you could go for that, the common laurel, because it is going to give you a seven, eight and higher uh, foot hedge relatively quickly. After that, you could look at, uh, for seven foot or higher, you could look at a U hedge. U will give you that height as well. It's uh, slow growing, very slow growing. Of course, you can buy it at that height, but you pay for it. Um, other plants, you could possibly look at Aliagnus is going to get that height. You could also even look at small trees, um, you know, very small trees, like like, and, and keep them as such. Now, when I say small trees, they get eventually to 20 feet, uh, so you, you may not want something that high. Um, Red Robin that we referred to earlier, I think if you let that get to seven foot, it would get too spindly and see-through. So I think your common laurel, uh, Portuguese laurel, which is another one, a lovely dense, uh, slower-growing form of, of laurel. That's another lovely one. So I would say one of the two of them are the Aliagnus, but you would need a bit more information in terms of the site. But I, my suggestion would be call to your local garden centre and see what they have. If you scribble down those three names that I gave you uh, and talk to your local garden centre about them and see what's on and see what's there. Okay, and Anne in Bantry, uh, she has a very old orchard. Now, there's five apple trees in this particular orchard. And this year, there's been mixed apples, some small and others big. Now, a lot of the big ones, uh, they've fallen, but they've fallen half eaten by big birds. So she wants to know, should I now take all the apples down, even though some are still small on the trees? Excuse me, sorry, John. Uh, I would say... I wouldn't take them all down, but what I would do is, is probably give the trees a good shake to see which ones fall. Any any that are ripe will fall immediately. 
Uh, the ones that are still quite small, we're coming into the end of the second half of September, they probably aren't going to plump up that much now, but I wouldn't, like, there's no point taking them off the tree because they're going to be inedible if they're so small anyway. Um, so I, I, they're so far from ripe, I would think, without seeing them, it's, it's hard to say, obviously. But So I would just give the trees a good shake. Anything that is, is ready to be eaten would fall off naturally, and I would take them because what happens is, no, of course, it's, it's, it, this, this is, as a problem is lessening the later we get but what happens is when a bird pecks them or when anything damages an apple then the wasps get in and they, they make it even worse and then they become inedible when the wasps have been at them so I would get them in sooner rather than later but I wouldn't pull everything off the tree as I say just give it a good shake and collect what comes off OK and Mary is in Bantry now something is eating the leaves of her rhubarb she wants to know what could it be but also what can she do to stop it We've had John Paul myself and Trish have had so many questions about rhubarb this year. <laughs> it's been unbelievable. There's a plague of something attacking rhubarb around around Cork this year. I don't know what's eating them. It could be slugs. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, I would cut off any infected growth. I wouldn't worry too much about it. I would cut off the infected growth, put some slug barrier around, give them a feed, give them a mulch with seaweed. Uh, I really wouldn't be too concerned about it, particularly coming into the time of year that we're coming into now. Um, everything's going to start dying back soon so I wouldn't be too worried about it but what it is I, without seeing it I'm afraid I can't say I don't know OK uh, well, well uh, it is something as you said it's been coming in a lot for, for the last while maybe it's just to change every the weather week, or something is it, it's I, been hot cold hot cold it is, yeah, I don't know what it is but every week we've been having rhubarb questions well, we'll move on to a Ponsettia, Peter, and Helen in Castle Magna. She has a Ponsettia since last Christmas. Now, it's very light in green colour, uh, but what can she do to keep it going as it will flower again, she hopes, this winter? Well, Helen is doing better than I ever do with the Ponsettia, she'd be glad to hear, because I never managed to get mine from one year to the All next. Right, okay. um, so my advice to Helen would be uh, do nothing. You've, you know, leave well alone. You've managed to keep it going so far nine months that you, you have it now. It's obviously happy in the conditions and the position that you've put it in. You obviously got a good quality plant day one because the main problem with Ponsettias is the, that they hate any bit of draft. And often they'll have been in a draft before you get them home uh, and the damage is done before you get them. So obviously wherever Helen got hers was, was good uh, and she's managed to keep it very well and draft free. Um, so I wouldn't be in any huge rush to be moving it or doing anything to it uh, Keep watering it. I imagine she's watering it about once a week. Keep doing that. The water doesn't want to be too cold. Uh, so kind of lukewarm water. Send it into a bowl of water about once a week. Let it take up what it needs. Uh, and really, I, I think it will do its thing naturally anyway. However, it may well not do it for Christmas because uh, the natural time, they're tricked into to thinking that they're, it's springtime to produce those beautiful red bracts or depending on the variety, they could be pink or white bracts uh, for Christmas. But that's, that's the kind of trick that's done in production. They're, they're tricked into thinking that they're coming into spring a bit early when they're not. So I think that Helen's will uh, produce the fabulous colour again, but it may not be for Christmas. All right, and we mentioned geraniums earlier on, Peter. Mary in Rathcool has geraniums in a pot. They're outdoors, though. They are flowering now, but how can she keep them over the winter? Bring them in? Well, well it depends, really. It is. It, it, like I was saying there with the question with earlier, the mm. temperatures are dropping now, so now is the time to bring them in. However, I kind of a, I feel a bit of a, a fraud when I say that because mine are out and I leave mine out because I'm the kind of gardener, John Paul, that the plants have to <laughs> have to look after themselves. Uh, I don't get everything inside much and all as I might advise that we should be bringing everything inside. I don't do it myself. I bring as much as I can, but I don't often bring them in. And my geraniums outside 
have been, they're probably going into year four now and they have never been brought inside. However, it's, it's they're quite sheltered in where they are. They're, they're, the wall on both sides, and so they're quite sheltered. But so the answer, the long-winded answer to the question is. Ideally, bring them in for the winter into a glass house or a polytunnel or a situation like that. However, if our winter isn't too severe, then the chances are they will come through outside. But you would want to maybe put something like fleece or that over them uh, on the frosty nights. So again, the textbook answer is to bring them into an unheated glass house or an unheated polytunnel from now on, I would say, until maybe April of next year. That way you're guaranteed to get them through to next year. If, however, you want to do Peter's lazy way of gardening and leave them outside and let them take a chance, do that too and just have a roll of horticultural fleece in the hand and you can put that over them on the very frosty night. Okay, and we're just under a minute to go, so if you can, this is a fast answer on this. Dan says, what's the easiest, nicest and most successful flowers to set for bees? I'm thinking about starting something for next year, but I only have a very small garden. I can't give a very quick answer to that. I can certainly spend a lot of time on it next week. Uh, Or if you want to contact me on Facebook, The Irish Gardener, I'll give as many answers as I can. Uh, But I can't give a quick one on that. Sorry, John Paul. There's no particular flower that would stand out just to attract bees, no? There's loads. And one of the most important ones of all, actually, uh, and we're coming into the time for it because a lot of the summer flowers are going over, obviously. We're coming into the time when bees still need feeding throughout the, the year. So ivy, believe it or not, ivy is a plant that flowers and the pollen on the ivy is is, is uh, very attractive to bees. Okay, very good. And are you busy this week? Any talks coming up in, in garden centres across Cork? I am busy, busy, busy. But one I want to give a plug to at mm. the moment is, uh, now I'm not involved with it, but there's a harvest open day and it's on in Carrigtool this Saturday, the 21st of September from 11 to 4. Uh, and it's for, it's in the Grenville campus in Carrigtool. It's for, uh, I'll tell you now exactly who it's for, the name of it, the Cork Autism, Cork Association for Autism. Sorry, I knew I wanted to get the name exactly right. But there's a lot happening down there in Carrigtool uh, on Saturday the 21st. There's a seed-saving workshop, there's nature trails, garden walks, and lots more. And I know that's a great facility down there in East Cork, so anybody fancies a, a day out this Saturday, that's, that's the place to get to. Very good. Well, Peter, thank you for that. The questions we didn't get to, we'll hold them over for next week. Thanks for joining us. Peter Dowdall there, the Irish Gardener. You'll find him on theirishgardener.com or indeed on Facebook or Instagram. Gardening on C103 with Bandon Co-op Garden Centres in Bandon, Kinsale and Enniskeen. For top quality plants, advice and value, think Bandon Co-op Garden Centres. C103.
Cardigans, Love Fool, that's where we leave it for today. My thanks to Bernie Murphy who produced. We'll chat to you tomorrow with Cork Today here from 10am. Enjoy your sunny Wednesday afternoon. I'm John Paul McNamara. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.